This is Faith in Action, the program that looks at how people put their faith into action in their everyday lives. Faith in Action is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Now here's today's program. This is Faith in Action on Catholic Radio. I'm Jim Ganley. Our co-host is Bridget Ayer. Hello, great to be with you. And boy, Christmas shopping, I know we keep talking about it, but if you're going to be doing it online, if you're going to be using Amazon, I'm not telling you where to or how to or anything like that, but if you're going to be doing it online, if you're going to be using Amazon, we would appreciate it if you went to Catholic Radio Indy, Catholic Radio Indy first, and uh, clicked on the Amazon Smile icon or logo. It's over on the right-hand side of the page. Once you go there, they're going to ask you what charity you'd like to support. And if you put all three words, Catholic Radio Indy, you're all done. You never have to worry about it again. But every time you buy anything at all on Amazon, Catholic Radio gets a small percentage. It doesn't cost you anything. You go to the very same Amazon page, uh, pages as you would normally and uh, we just get a small percentage of it. So if everybody does that, it really does add up. And this is the time of the year where most people probably will be doing a little bit of online shopping. So you'll help us out. You can also go directly to Amazon Smile if you want. Just put that in uh, any kind of a search engine and you'll get to the same place. And they'll ask you the same question. What charity do you want to support? Catholic Radio Indy. And uh, you never have to think about it again from there on. It's automatic, and you'll be helping us out a bunch. Well, today we've got a great show lined up for you, and hopefully it'll it'll help you. Um, these are going to be some tips on how to stay healthy this winter, and we can all all mm-hmm. use that. We're going to talk a little bit about vaccines, you know, what ones you should get, who should get them. You know, this is one of the first <laughs> first years, you know, when you were in church or grocery store or anything, everybody, you know, coughs a little bit, clears their throat from <laughs> time to time, has an not, occasional sneeze. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> now, uh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> What did I do? Anyhow, I just sneezed. But. And 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 you interrupted me in my inter- introduction. But and and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, COVID nineteen and how we can stay safe um, with. We should that. talk to a doctor about. Yeah, that. we should talk to a doctor. And hey, guess what, Jim? I got one right here with us. <laughs> Joining us is Dr. Adam Parlberg. He is the associate director at St. Francis Health Family Medicine Residency. So welcome to Faith in Action. Hello. Thanks mm. for having me on. Well, tell us a little bit about what you do. You are, I, I t- explain your title first, and, and, and you, you actually practice medicine, right? I do, I do, yeah. So I'm actually um, an associate director of a family medicine residency here in Indy, so Franciscan Health. Okay. Um, it's actually where I did my residency program um, okay. back in 2008-2011. Um, and just, I had always kind of stayed in touch with the program. Um, was in private practice for about six, seven years, um, and then just, you know, my desire and passion for teaching and working with young people um, just kind of pulled me back, and so I'm, I'm here as a, an associate director, so we're, we're kind of a teaching program, um, training program for, for family medicine physicians. Excellent. Now, um, I want to talk about vaccines. Let's start there. Um, I know that this year at least my doctor and what I've heard on the news, you know, people should, you know, get maybe a flu vaccine, you know, in light of COVID. So there's flu, there's pneumonia, there's shingles vaccines. Um, Who should really be getting any one of these vaccines? You can, we can start by each individual vaccine. Yeah. How important is it to get one of these and who should get one of the, uh, we'll start with flu. Okay. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll, the ones I'll probably go, I'll go over flu, pneumonia, 
shingles, tetanus are, are kind of the big ones that okay, I think okay. are probably worth going over. Yeah, I think I'm due uh, for a yeah. tetanus myself. Um, um, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it, well, most Americans are probably needing, needing an update there, too. So, But, um, but yeah, so flu, essentially pretty much everyone should get a flu shot. You know, okay. uh, um, Generally, kids over the age of six months um, and adults, um, especially age 65 and older, you know, um, these sort of high-risk patients, specifically chronic disease, lung disease, that sort of thing. Um, really, the only one who should not get a flu shot are kids under six months and people that have had, like, severe life-threatening allergies to flu vaccine or any, in, any ingredient in, in the vaccine. Um, for the elderly, if the high dose is available, um, that one is probably going to be optimal. Um, there's a 2014 New England Journal of Medicine study that indicated the high dose was about 25% more effective um, in preventing flu and keeping people out of the hospital relative to the regular dose. So um, that's flu. Um, pneumonia how, how, shot. Common, uh, how common yeah, are reactions to flu shots? I hear some people say, oh, gee, every time I get a flu shot, I get sick. How, how yeah, common is yeah. that and how serious is that? Yeah, so flu vaccines, at least serious you know, adverse events to flu vaccines are extremely rare. Um, it's pretty common to have sort of a mild, you know, you feel kind of sore and achy. You can get like a local reaction, you know, local injection site reaction. But for the most part, um, you know, those adverse reactions, serious ones are extremely, extremely rare. Um, in terms of, um, you know, you've probably heard of other things, you know, like Guillain-Barre. And, you know, if, if that's something that has, has come up with flu vaccines, that's extremely rare as well. That's sort of a you know, muscle weakness and paralysis type thing. Um, but, you know, it's uncertain what the clear link is with that one. It potentially varies. Um, and if there is any risk at all, it's like one case per million. You know, a study suggests you're more likely to get that after a flu illness than you are to get it from the vaccine. So very safe. Um, you know, the main, you know, compelling data with flu is that, you know, it prevents hospitalizations and deaths from the flu, which is pretty important. Not necessarily you're not going to get it. And maybe okay. if you do get it, it's a milder illness. What about pneumonia? See, so yeah, pneumonia, um, as, as you guys probably know, it's kind of part of that childhood vaccine, you know, schedule. Mm -hmm. um, for everyone else, generally, it's recommended to get a single dose um, after you turn 65 for generally healthy elderly. Um, for those elderly that have, like, chronic disease, generally a dose before 65 is recommended. Um, and then after 65, for those same kind of chronic disease patients, so think, you know, like lung disease, diabetes, heart, liver disease, smokers, you know, that sort of thing, um, it maybe makes sense to give them two pneumonia shots. So one is a 13 valent, the other one is a 23, so Pneumovax and Prevnar 13 um, are, are ones to consider for, for, for those patients. And shingles, um, shingles. Shingles, yeah. So there's a couple uh, shots out there for shingles. Zostavax and Shingrix are the two. Um, generally for, you know, for patients over 50, it's probably something to consider. Shingles is no fun. You know, it's a reactivation of a shing uh, chickenpox virus that can cause a rash and pain. And, you know, some, for some people, a post, you know, uh, a post disease, you know, sort of, um, you know, neuropathy that can persist afterwards. Um, but Shingrix is a really, really good vaccine. So, you know, generally for, for folks, um, 50, you know, to 70 Pretty good, you know, effectiveness, 97%. You know, for those um, over age of 70, that, that effectiveness persists. Whereas for the other uh, shingles vaccine, the Zostavax, you don't have that persistence in effectiveness. You know, sort of that decreases with increasing age. So Shingrix is a two-part series. 
people can feel kind of fluish, you know, with this vaccine, mm-hmm. but the effectiveness, you know, is something that persists, and it, it, it's a good vaccine. So, okay, and uh, with the shingles itself, if somebody as an adult has had shingles, do they need a shot then if they have it, or are they automatically yeah, immune? Or yeah, it's probably a good idea to get a vaccine. You know, we don't we don't necessarily know for certain. You know, if again having shingles probably does give you some protection you know, immune immune protection, but it, it's no guarantee. And, and so I've seen people get recurrent shingles. Um, and so for, for, the, for, for, for those folks even, it's probably a good idea to, to go ahead and do a, a shingles vaccine. Okay, I want to ask you just real quick about just the general safety of vaccines in general. I mean, you get a lot of different information out there. Some people say it's not safe. Some people say it's safe. Like just overall, what would you say about vaccines in general? Yeah, um, extremely, extremely safe, um, by far benefits, you know, far exceed any sort of risk. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, with, for example, like the Guillain-Barre thing, you know, adverse events are extremely rare. Um, and, and, you know, a, a lot of the distrust of vaccines, as you guys know, sort of came up with the kind of MMR autism, you know, study. I believe it was po- it was uh, published in, in, in the Lancet. Um that study was actually retracted and resoundingly discredited by the medical community in general. So there's no link between, you know, vaccine use and autism. Um, and so we're, you know, um, we definitely recommend, you know, the childhood vaccine, you know, um, schedule flu vaccines, again, pneumonia, tetanus, you know, um, shingles, these various things, but, but generally extremely safe, you know, benefits again far out see the risks and ex- ad- adverse events are, are extremely rare with, with vaccines. Now something we're hearing a lot about with COVID is this term called herd immunity. Could you explain what that is as, you know, since we're talking about vaccines and keeping people healthy? Um, talk yeah. about herd immunity. What is it? How does it work exactly? So, yeah, so herd immunity, you know, occurs when you have a large proportion of the community, essentially the herd, you know, becomes immune to a disease. And that makes the spread of the disease from person to person very unlikely. Um, so as a result, the whole community becomes protected, so not just those who are immune. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, as it relates to COVID, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, there are problems with relying on, you know, this sort of concept. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, creating herd immunity, you know, to, to um, protect, you know, people from COVID and sort of going forward you know, kind of reopening and, and, and you know, um, as that potentially being, you know, an effective um, measure, you know, to, to, to kind of move on. Um, problems with that, of course, is that, you know, it's not clear that infection with COVID-19 actually makes a person immune, mm-hmm. um, you know, to future infection. So mm-hmm. that's uncertain, you know. It, it, we've seen cases where people have been reinfected. You know, does immunity last, you know, a month or two months or, or beyond that? So, um, so let's say we're relying on that entirely, you know, not vaccines and other measures, you know, um, about 70%, you know, 60 to 70% of the population would have to be infected to reach herd immunity threshold. Um, so about 200 million people potentially would have to recover, you know, from COVID to halt the, the pandemic. Um, and of course, you know, we're looking at, you know, if that many people are sick, the healthcare system is going to be overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, of course could lead to serious complications and, you know, potentially looking at, you know, a 3%, you know, death rate somewhere in there looking at 6 million preventable deaths. Um, so that's a pretty um, cost, you know, costly um, strategy. And, and 
that doesn't even include, you know, sort of the uncertain long-term consequences, you know, um, not just the elderly and the high risk, but, but generally healthy people, kids. You've seen this kind of like multi-systems pediatric, you know, syndrome, Kawasaki-like illness, um, you know, things that can affect the blood vessels, the heart, you know, blood clots, and these sorts of things are just uncertain long-term. Um, and so, again, so know, basically, gen- okay. so basically, we don't with with the COVID concept of herd immunity with COVID, we just don't want to let it rip. This <laughs> is basically the summary. We're we're talking with Dr. Yeah. Adam Paulberg. Yeah. He is of Franciscan Health. Um, all right, did you want to go on add on to that? Or do you want me to- oh yeah, just yeah, just just essentially. I mean, the cost of human life is way too high to pursue that. You know, and and the other piece there as we tied into vaccines is that you know. Herd immunity generally is not achievable without also having kind of a vaccine. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a combination approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, through natural disease process, you know, to most major diseases, you know, it cannot be achieved without also having sort of vaccine, um, you know, um, assistance as well. So well, that, that was the final piece. Th- this particular virus is very new to everybody. I mean, we're, we're only, what, six or eight months into it right now. And I know... We, we keep hearing, well, gee, when it started, we didn't know much about it, and we're learning more about it as we go along. W- what have we learned so far? Um, we've, we've learned quite a bit about it. You know, again, the, the, the approach, you know, to um, this disease has sort of changed, you know, from, from when we, you know, the pandemic hit back in, like, February, March to now. Um, you know, things from, you know, asymptomatic spread that was a big question you know is this something that can be spread you know without without symptoms and we found out yes very much so you know and in, in some cases as, as much as 30 and 40 percent of cases um there was the the study that you know the, i think it was the fairbank study um back over the summer um a randomized sample that kind of demonstrated pretty high asymptomatic spread um we've kind of gone back and forth on you know is this something that's picked up on you know fomites and like surfaces Maybe that's not as compelling uh, of, of, of a spread, you know, sort of the, you know, you know, benefit of masks, you know, and and, um, and I, I think we'll probably chat a little bit more about some of these things here um, going forward in terms of effectiveness, you know, of, of mask wearing and, and, and whatnot. But um, but we're, we're, we're still learning. And I, I think we'll probably chat about a lot of these things as we as we proceed here. We need to take a break right now. When we come back, we will we will talk about masks, whether you should wear them or whether you should not wear them. So stay tuned for more Faith in Action. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. 
God bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to Faith in Action. I'm Bridget Ayer. Jim Ganley and I are in the studio, and we're talking with Dr. Adam Parlberg. He is with Franciscan Health, and we're talking about how to stay safe this winter. And, and, and Doctor, we were talking about um, vaccines and things like that, and right now there's just been a continuous for the last several months debate kind of of do you believe the politicians or the doctors and the science? Your, your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and that, that's, that's been one of the uh, deficiencies, I think, you know, with, with this pandemic, you know. And, and one of the things that's probably surprised me the most that's been unfortunate, you know, is, is that sort of like partisan perspective, um, you know, with, with the pandemic. You know, it's, um, you know, science has always been something, you know, that has been valued, you know, and, and this country is always trusted in, in its healthcare experts. Um, and so we're, we're sort of starting to see some distrust there, you know, sort of, again, that kind of partisan divide, you know, um, distrust of medical professionals, you know, and, and, and I can understand a lot of it. You know, early in the pandemic, there's a lot of mixed messaging. There really was, um, yeah. You know, and, and a, a lot of it was just sort of, I think we're all learning about this at the same time. You know, right. this is a novel virus, you right. know, and it's not like we have any sort of, you know, um, information that, that, everyone else doesn't have. We're all really learning how to do this. It's a novel virus wreaking havoc on, on a naive immune system. And so um, some of the inconsistencies, you know, does, I think, sort of tie back to that. Some of it had to do with, you know, sort of um, lack of PPE early in the pandemic. You know, people are like, they told us to wear masks, and they told us not to wear masks, and, you know, kind of going back and forth. I think a lot of the, you know, recommendations on not wearing masks early was tied to a shortage in PPE. And I think they're you know, it could have been better transparency there, better communication there. So um, let's. So let me ask the yeah. the question: mask yeah. or no mask? <laughs> that 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 one is unequivocal. You know, masks, you know, exclamation point times a million. Okay. Um, you know, masks do most definitely prevent the spread of COVID nineteen. They work. You know, we have several studies that indicate that masks indeed are effective in preventing the spread. We have real world, you know, anecdotal evidence. We have case studies. We have epidemiologic data, you know, looking at mass mandates. Um, you know, we even have laboratory experiments that sort of look at respiratory droplets and aerosols and sort of how they spread and fall for mass and unmasked, you know, and, and cloth, you know, mass versus N95s and surgical masks. Um, we, kn- we know that, you know, there's a pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic transmission of this virus, you know, and so... Um, even if you're not symptomatic, um, you can still spread this disease. And um, the best benefit for mask wearing, as you guys have probably heard, is, is you know for those who harbor the virus, you know, from transmitting it to other people. Um, so, uh, absolutely. Now, we want to caution people. Uh, this program was being recorded in the uh, middle of November, and so as they're hearing it, it's it's a little bit later than that. So they might want to check on any of the numbers. But in kind of general uh, terms. Where are we on this virus? We, we started in March, and things were really terrible, going to be really bad. Summer seems like everybody was kind of tired of it. Uh, let's not worry about it so much anymore. And as we swung into the fall, things are not looking all that great. Yeah, so just kind of nationally, we're looking at something like 120,000 new cases per day, um, which is staggering. Um, in Indiana, I'm just looking at the, the COVID-19 dashboard, you know, it, Indiana.gov has a has a um, running dashboard you can check um, to kind of get the updates. Um, about five thousand 
positive cases, um, for sort of as, as new cases daily. Positivity rate, you guys have probably heard of that, yeah. that phrase before. We're at over 10%, um, and generally experts, you know, consider, you know, reopening in schools and that sort of thing being under 5% as being kind of a, a, a guide going forward. So um, not not doing great, you know. Um, can I ask you cases, a, of course. Yeah, go ahead. Can I ask you a question? Um, but the deaths are going down. Is that so? That's kind of positive. Is that a fair statement, or well, based so on what the, we knew the, before? Yeah. So what, what's actually happening is the the, the hospitalization and, and deaths generally lag behind by a few weeks. Okay. Um, following you know your your positive cases, so you're going to see cases you know, rising, um, and then a few weeks later is when you start seeing your hospitalizations and you start seeing your deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, looking at the dashboard, yeah, we're still, we're on sort of the uptick um, overall in general. I mean, you're seeing, you know, kind of the, the same sort of curve for cases, um, testing, positivity, death, hospitalizations, that sort of thing. But, yeah, in general, your hospitalization and, and deaths tend to, to lag a, a, a bit behind by a few weeks, Um following your, your positive cases. Okay, so I want to get to what should people do for um, family gatherings, birthday parties, Christmas festivities. Um, what do you recommend with that? And also with our elderly populations in mind, you know, do we leave grandma out of, you know, the whatever? You, you get what I'm saying? Or yeah, do, we, yeah. do we protect those that are more vulnerable or do we shut everybody down? Are there yeah. two different scenarios great in terms great of a, in terms um, of a strategy yeah yeah I'll, I'll start with kind of um the the family gatherings christmas that sort of thing birthday parties um hate to be the harbinger of, of bad news or or you know the the, the, the grinch the grinch as we call them <laughs> the this time of year. yeah no I'm, I'm i'm definitely grinching this you know um <laughs> Um, but yeah just extreme caution here you know again my absolute recommendation is to limit those gatherings to immediate family mm-hmm. and those families you've been courting with. You know, so if you have had grandma and grandpa or aunt or, you know, whoever it is that's kind of like cohorting, you know, and sort of, um, you know, w- within your sort of family unit, that obviously is, is very much okay. Um, you know, caution with members of your family that, that don't live with you. You know, that son that, that lives in California, you know, the, you know, the, the aunt that lives in Texas, wherever it is. Um, extreme caution with those folks that don't live with you. you what know, about keep gatherings small? Go kids, ahead. kids coming back from college. What about that? Correct. Yeah, that that's don't come home. That's <laughs> <laughs> see ya. That, that, right. That that one is very much sort of an individ, you know individualized decision. You know, okay. I, again, I I hate to sort of say not have you know kids back from college, but but again, you want to consider the risk. You know, so consider the risk of travel consider the risk of the community levels of COVID to and from where people are traveling from. So, you know, um, you know, a, a college kid is coming from a place where it's surging and, and it's overwhelming, you know, and, and you have grandma and grandpa at home. That's something you want to be, be very careful about. Um, you know, obviously caution with the elderly and those that are high risk that live with you. Um, but if, if you must keep, you know, those, those gatherings small, if you can do it outdoors, I know that's hard with winter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're indoors, wear masks, of course, the hand washing, sanitizing, you know, caution with close contact. If somebody is sick, you know, you know, tell them don't come home, you know, mm-hmm. and encourage others to kind of do the same. Um, you know, open windows, you know, these are just sort of strategies you can kind of to, to, to really help, you know, um, 
minimize the spread here. You know, if you're serving food, consider kind of that single serve use options, boxed meals, you know, disposable cutlery, cups, you know, and also, of course, your, your virtual alternatives and drive-by celebrations are all sort of ways to be creative, you know, and again, we'll see what, what sort of is happening at that time. You know, it all really depends on, 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 on kind of what the numbers are looking like and then um, how it's looking in the community. we got a couple minutes left. I do want to ask about schools because I've heard, you know, the, the younger kids are um, pretty much everybody in school is very low risk of dying or, I mean, obviously they could potentially spread it, but thoughts about closing school and then also the collateral damage for elderly being not able to see people or, you know, the other non-COVID related health issues, but yeah. talk about the school being in school, not being in school, and then the other collateral of okay. COVID, non-related yeah. COVID collateral. Great, great question. The, the school thing is tough. You know, I, I, I don't think there's an absolute right decision here. It's a very personalized decision. You know, it's always a risk-benefit conversation. Um, you want to sort of weigh the risk of educational and social-emotional decline you know, versus the risk of COVID-19. Um, and, and you are correct in that, you know, in, in general, children are known to be um, um, resilient. Sort of more, <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, more, more resilient, you know, to COVID-19, have less serious infection. However, again, we, we have seen cases where, you know, kids have died and you see that multi-systems, you know, pediatric syndrome, um, you know, and, and, um, and so it, it's, 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 it's not a complete non-consequence there, but, but in general, kids tend to be more resilient. Um, other things to consider, of course, are like your resources, you know, like, you know, how much confidence do you have in your school system to execute the guidelines, the mask wearing, the distancing, the contact tracing? Some are better than others, you know. Right. They're all different. Does your, yeah. Does your kid have a high-risk condition, you know? Um, does the parent have a high-risk condition? You know, do you have grandma and grandpa taking care? You know, those are, those are important things. Now, social economic stuff, does, do the parents work, you know, mom and dad work? And, and sort of, you know, having kids in school helps, you know, there. Class size is mask enforcement, again, and, and sort of, you know, access to resources that are very important for, for a lot of kiddos. The only meal they get, you know, is at school, access to counselors and social workers, and, um, and of course, finally, you know, community spread. You know, if, if that positive rate is less than 5%, that does support reopening. Um, but then, again, we have to consider the student academic needs, emotional, social well-being. So just kind of looking at both of those um, and kind of weighing those, those risks and benefits. But... The absolute safe answer is, you know, you know, do it at home, um, but, I, but, but it's not that simple. Well, we're, we're just about out of time. We only have a, about 30 seconds left. Um, oh, crap. Okay. Do you um, have any resources you want to point our listeners to? Um, anything in particular that comes to mind? It's, you're at franciscanhealth.org. Uh, yeah. If people want to connect to Franciscan Health, I'm sure you've got some general information there. So franciscanhealth.org. Will that do it? Absolutely. All right. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Adam Harburg, the Associate Director at Franciscan Health Family Medicine Residency. Thanks so much for being our guest today. You've given us a lot of information. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Faith in Action, the program that looks at how people put their faith into action in their everyday lives. Faith in Action is a presentation of Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear this episode of Faith in Action again or any past episode at catholicradioindy.org. If you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future program, please call us at 317-870-8400 or email jim at catholicradioindy.org.
www.thepeopleshow.org.